Hi, this is Bobby Kamari, and I want to thank you for listening to season two of the Living in Light podcast, where the whole season is going to be dedicated to the fabulous topic of sacred sexuality. I hope it blesses your socks off. Hello, 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 people. I hope everyone is feeling fantastic and that you guys are all doing good as we navigate through another lockdown. Um, And I hope that this podcast is going to bless you guys as you are hopefully living your best quarantine life. So um, today I'm chatting about single sexuality which I am quite excited about Um, and I'm going to kick off by making this statement which I've probably made several times in one way or another in previous episodes that sexuality is far bigger than just the act of sex it is a fundamental beautiful part of our wiring to be embraced and celebrated whether we're having sex or not and i think for christianity as a whole biblical teachings and open dialogue about sex is still fairly uncommon but even more limited than that is the discussion around the wider issue of sexuality and how to navigate your sexuality as an individual because as a christian you may hopefully by god's grace have sound understanding about the real purpose and beauty of sexual intimacy within marriage, but we also need to understand how to thrive in our sexuality as an individual. Because if, according to the Bible, sex is reserved just for marriage, then what are we meant to do with our God-given sexuality if we're not married? Because your sexuality doesn't just switch off outside of marital sex, because we're sexual beings made in God's image, whether we're having sex or not. So, as someone made in the image of God, how is my sexuality meant to reflect God outside of sexual intimacy in marriage? And how do I celebrate and own my sexuality as an individual, whether I am single, married, widowed, or even a young person growing up, in a highly sexualized culture in a way that reflects the nature of God. And so this is what today's podcast is going to be about. And within that, I'm also going to chat about gender. So to begin with, I want to chat about embracing our gender roles. And I'm going to just read from Genesis 1, 27 to 28 and verse 31 from Genesis 1, which tells us that God created man in his own image, in the image and likeness of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it using all its vast resources in the service of God and man and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the earth. And then verse 31 says this and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good suitable pleasant and he approved it completely and there was evening and there was morning a sixth day and that's from the amplified translation 
So from reading these verses, we can see that not only did God make us as males and females in his image as sexual beings, but he completely approved his handiwork and he found pleasure in the way he made us as male and female. And I also believe that from these scriptures that we can trust that God wants us to own our sexuality because God completely approves of us as sexual beings. And when we follow God's blueprint for our sexuality, then I believe he is so glorified and that it does bring him pleasure in his handiwork. And I believe that God wants individuals to be completely comfortable as sexual beings, which fundamentally involve us being completely confident in our God-designed gender role where we cherish and honour and celebrate our masculinity or our femininity and that we see God reflected through it. And fully embracing our gender is one of the strongest expressions of our sexuality as well as a fundamental component in us thriving in life for males to be males and females to be females without violating or stifling or diluting or distorting our God-given gender traits and our sexual identity as males or females. And this is why the enemy wants to bring so much confusion and violation surrounding gender so that mankind simply cannot be fruitful and multiply and so that mankind doesn't glorify God through gender. And like I mentioned in the last few episodes, when our identities as males and females that are made in the image of God are shattered and fragmented, we're unable to be whole as individuals and we are, as a result, unable to fulfill our purpose on earth. Because when God creates us with our biological sex and the gender attributes that are associated with that sex, interwoven into that decision is also the very purpose that God has for our lives. And our gender isn't a choice for us. It's non-negotiable and it's decided by God even before the foundation of the earth was laid as part of the purpose and life that he has predestined for us. And in Ephesians 2.10, it tells us that we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. And then Psalm 139, 15 to 16 says this, My frame was not hidden from you when I was formed in secret and intricately and curiously wrought, as if embroidered with various colours in the depths of the earth, a region of darkness and mystery, Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book all the days of my life were written before ever they took shape, when as yet there was none of them. And so our gender has purpose and our creator is the one who in his love, wisdom, foresight and sovereignty assigned our original identity to us as male and female made in his image intricately and curiously wrought as if embroidered with various colours and he also purposed what we were created to do and how we were created to do it 
And the differences between maleness and femaleness not only reflect God's beauty and creativity and majesty and sovereignty in glorious ways, but the dispositions, the physical, emotional and spiritual attributes that they both are wired with, their design and body shapes all have purpose. And it's by God's design that he chose two halves, two distinctive genders, equally worthy and majestic to come together to reveal the totality of his nature in such a unique way and for those two halves to complement one another in the most fruitful and brilliant way and for our most supreme benefit. And when this original order for gender is tampered with, mankind cannot thrive. Yet, because we live in a fallen world, this is exactly what has happened. And as accepted and as common a liberal view on gender may become, it's simply not biblical. So I want to talk about that for a little bit. But what I do want to say is that simply because it's not biblical, it doesn't mean it's not painful or traumatic or heartbreaking for anyone who may be experiencing gender confusion or living as transgender or wrestling with gender issues. And because gender is so fundamentally part of who we are, when there is confusion with our gender, it will directly impact the very core of our being And the brokenness that it can bring will reach into every corner of our lives, into our thoughts, our psyche, our self-image, our belief systems, how we see others, and literally how we see the world and our purpose. And so let me unpack some of the definitions for us, starting with gender dysphoria. So this is the psychological stress that occurs when a person experiences a conflict between the gender that they were assigned at birth and the gender that they now identify as. So a gender dysphoric person was born a male but doesn't feel like a male or was born a female but doesn't feel like a female. But someone going through these conflicted feelings may not actually identify as transgender because you can have gender dysphoric individuals who experience inner turmoil and conflict about their gender but may not take the actual step of switching their gender identity. And then you have transgenderism um, as an ideology and this is the concept that the gender is malleable, so changeable. So a trans girl is actually a girl and not just a boy who identifies as a girl. And within the transgender ideology, there's the notion that modern medicines, puberty blockers, hormone therapy, and gender reassignment surgeries should be used to help gender dysphoric individuals change their gender identities. And part of the ideology concerning transgenderism is that public policy should be changed to reflect transgender preferences and so this would involve participation in sex specific sports programs, access to public bathrooms of preference, 
and the criminalization of misgendering individuals. And like I mentioned, when it comes to gender reassignment, modern medicine is used to help gender dysphoric people realign their physical bodies with their gender preference. So in male to female reassignment surgery, doctors transform the man's genitalia into the shape of a vagina, removing the testicles and inverting the penis. And in female to male surgery, doctors remove the woman's breasts, uterus and ovaries, extending the euthera so that the woman can urinate while standing. And although this kind of transition can now take place medically, but the truth is that according to God's original design for gender, a male simply cannot become a female and a female cannot become a male. Even if you use all the preferred pronouns and you carry out all the sex reassignment surgeries and switch toilets to the perceived gender rather than the biological gender, a man who thinks he's a woman can never really be a woman and a woman who thinks she's a man can never become a man. It's simply impossible. No matter what we may see happening here on earth. The bottom line is, is that a man's chromosomes cannot be changed into female chromosomes. And changing your appearance cosmetically or surgically cannot change the underlying reality of a person's biological makeup of who God created them to be. And as deep and as painful as the thoughts and the hunger to be another gender may be but the psychology of the mind cannot override the facts of a person's biological markers but a transgender ideology puts a demand on us that we believe lies about human nature and about God's original design but God is not a man that he should lie and in this fallen world we can't deny God's truth in order to accommodate broken, dysfunctional world ideologies that outside of God's divine order can't flourish. Because in this fractured, broken world filled with so many twisted desires, it would be ridiculous to simply give in to such insanity. And as heartbreaking and as complex as the confusion and the brokenness that may come with gender dysphoria or transgender issues, the bottom line is that for someone to think they can change their biological sex is actually insanity because it's just not possible. And in such a broken, fragile world, we cannot change God's word to give in to these broken, twisted needs and desires that we can end up cultivating because to simply give in to them is no good for an individual even if they end up getting what they think they need it doesn't mean that that's what's going to help them thrive just because I may have a desire for it or I may feel that it would bring me peace 
make me happy or complete me or satisfy me, even if those are my desires in that season in my life or even for my whole life, it doesn't mean that that is actually the best thing for me. Like I actually remember when I was around 16 and I used to listen to R&B music and I would go to all the black clubs and the black raves and my best friends were black and my boyfriends were black and my vernacular was also a little bit black which was interesting to say the least and basically deep down I just wanted to be black because in my mind I associated the black culture with being cool and with um, certain attractions and desires and needs that I thought that I had and that included wanting to be accepted, wanting to be desirable, wanting to be cool and so as a result I used to dress like all the girls in the music videos and I used to pull my hair sleeked back so tight in a bun with like these two little ringlet curls at the front of my hair like I saw in the music videos and I wished that my skin was darker and I actually secretly for just a little bit of time in my teenage years wished that my parents came from either Jamaica or somewhere like that but after about three years once I stopped listening to R&B music and then I got into house music and changed the culture that I was being influenced by and I actually started enjoying the real me and all those desires to want to be black left me and it was just like a phase that I went through but imagine if I'd acted on my fractured desires imagine if I had darkened my skin imagine if I'd continued to pull my hair back so so tight and damage it even more than I already did in that season and imagine if I'd rejected my beautiful Indian culture because of that season of confusion that I went through like what a tragedy it would have been if I'd actually you know made physical changes and even surgical changes to my body in order to fit into an identity that I felt more comfortable with and I would have gone on to regret it and I know that this example may not be the same thing as having gender confusion or gender dysphoria and grappling when it comes to the actual biological sex that you have been assigned and my example might sound a little bit comical and foolish Um, And please know that I'm not trying to devalue the pain that someone would go through when it comes to transgender issues or confusion about gender. And I'm definitely not trying to in any way downplay or devalue the pain of parents who, you know, have to walk through that journey with children who might identify as a different gender. And I don't want to discount any associated turmoil when I give this example Because anyone dealing with gender confusion or dysphoria or living life as transgender is absolutely worthy of dignity and value and grace. Just as much as anyone dealing with any sort of turmoil. But to give in to confusion regarding gender and a desire to change your gender in a society that is riddled with brokenness and fractured thinking and desires that are 
quite dangerous and twisted and to push surgery onto someone and to promote transitioning into the opposite gender to push it not just onto adults who may be confused but also onto children and to change society to suit such damaging cravings is so dangerous it's so detrimental even if you have a whole group of people thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands even going into the millions of people who actually desire this change it doesn't mean that it's not dangerous and that it's not damaging and no matter how much it might get pushed on society the truth is that society simply cannot flourish when individuals are changing their gender because the bottom line is that God created human beings to either be male or female. We know that from Genesis 1.27. And God designed it so that our gender would align with our biological sex. And when we attempt to nullify or suppress that design, we encounter frustration and failure. And even though doctors might perform surgery to conform to that person's preference, our God-given gender identities are not actually changeable. But even in a journey involving transgenderism, God wants to be there with anyone wrestling with gender confusion or transgender issues. God wants to come alongside that person and restore them back to their original identity and to love that person through the process, however difficult or complex or lengthy that journey might be. And if the wrestle never gets resolved and a life in a gender not assigned at birth doesn't change God's love and desire for anyone, it just hinders us from God's best and it hinders us from experiencing original identity, true intimacy and from fulfilling our purpose. And I actually think it's the same for gender in general, that God wants us to own our gender, that he wants males to be fully male and females to be fully female. And that might not necessarily be stereotypical representations of males or females, like girls should be girly girls and all guys should be into football, but it's us embracing those God-given attributes, those spiritual attributes, those relational attributes that come with our gender, you know, that nurturing that's often found in women, that protection that's found in men, the desire to take the initiative and to pursue that God has innately wired within males, similarly for females, that innate wiring of care and hospitality and wanting to nurture and wanting to build up and encourage and so I believe that God wants us to embrace our genders full stop and that that brings him so much glory and so along with celebrating our gender I also believe that as individuals God wants us as males and females to embrace our sexuality as sexual beings 
and not to repress it or to violate it. But when I say embrace our sexuality, I'm not talking about a sensual, lustful, overt sexiness, like the world might define sexuality, but it's a celebration of our maleness and femaleness. It's a beauty, a strength, a confidence that comes from fully embracing every part of our wiring and owning it. And personally, as a Christian, this actually took me quite a long time to understand. Because as a born-again Christian, I was led to believe that my sexuality, or just like this awareness that I am a sexual being, was almost like a residue of my past life of promiscuity. And so I would just consecrate my sexuality and I'd yield it before God and I... I think I just expected it to eventually disappear (laughs) as I matured in my faith Um, and as I got delivered from like all my sexual junk and all my jacked up thinking when it came to sex and guys and all of that but it refused to go away and I didn't really pay it much attention until God began to stir some things up in me that I actually couldn't ignore And no matter how much I tried, I couldn't shake off the sense that the more I walked in purity and the more that I hung out with Jesus, the more my femininity blossomed and the more my sexuality kind of got stirred up. But it wasn't anything like the sexual awareness that I had experienced as a non-believer, which really was just skin deep and it was untamed and it was illicit. But with Jesus, I just felt fully alive. And I felt as if I was experiencing a sexual awakening of the most holy kind. And I felt desirable from the inside out. And I remember one day just applying my makeup one morning and suddenly I just found myself in a childlike, innocent way with butterflies in my stomach, like asking Jesus if I was sexy. And I I wasn't even trying to be profane. I wasn't being irreverent. It was intimate. It was deep. It was a holy moment. And it was like a question that can only come out of like a Yada relationship with Jesus. Like that place of just talking and sharing your heart and just questioning and being vulnerable. And to be quite honest, like I just, I don't have a relationship with anyone like I have with Jesus he literally is lover of my soul and my best friend and so really it was only Jesus who could tell me if this sacred awakening that was bubbling up on the inside of me was actually by God's design and so I asked him and I didn't really get a response in that moment but I literally sensed that he'd heard me and that he was smiling And then a couple of days later, I was at a worship festival and a new friend randomly just told me that I was sexy. And it just reminded me of the question that I'd asked the Lord. Because when you're at a worship gathering properly, you know, in the swirl, you don't expect to be told that you're sexy. But I knew that it was actually Jesus answering me. And then a few days later, I literally just had him speak into my heart about this whole thing of sexuality. 
and sexual awareness and holy sex appeal, if you like. And I felt God say into my heart that Bob's, after all these years of being in love with me, of being sold out to righteousness and to the beauty of purity, if your womanly sass still hasn't left, I think that we can safely say it's here to stay. And I experienced so much freedom in that moment. And it was sweet and lovely and refreshing and liberating to think that unlike what I had got the impression of in Christendom, that actually my womanliness and femininity was a God-ordained part of my identity and he wanted me to embrace it, not as someone who is having sex in a marital covenant, but as an individual, as a single woman. So yeah, I hope that blesses someone because it's definitely blessed me since that day. But this celebration of sexuality isn't something to be flaunted or violated or misused or displayed in an immodest way. It's a holy thing to actually walk in the fullness of your sexuality. And whether you're male or female, we need to make sure that as we celebrate our sexuality, that we do it with honor and dignity and holiness and respect as males as females and that we honor and respect and dignify one another's sexuality as well and that we don't seduce and we don't engage in lustful behavior we dress with modesty and we communicate and behave with honor and the onus is on both sexes, on males and females, to steward our sexuality with honor and dignity and purity. And that we must make a covenant with our eyes, as it speaks about in Job 31.1, to not look at anyone lustfully. And as we seek to celebrate the beauty and appeal in one another as image bearers of Christ, that we do it with such pure hearts. And I think this can be super difficult because we live in a highly sexualized culture and also in a church culture where sex isn't talked about enough. And so there's all this mystery attached to the subject of sexuality when it comes to church culture. And so as a result, what's exotic can often become erotic, making it as times quite difficult to navigate through your sexuality in a healthy way as a Christian as an individual. And this is also why I think when it comes to sexuality for a Christian individual, stewarding our sexuality and our sex drive and desire can be a struggle if we don't have a healthy understanding of sexuality. And although being single should be and can be such a powerful time of celebration and growth and fruitfulness, if we don't have a healthy understanding of how to steward our sexuality, it can end up being super hard for loads of singles to navigate through this period of singleness because of the sexual temptation and not knowing how to actually steward our sexuality with grace, with honor, with purity, but celebration at the same time. And for me personally, um, in my time as a believer, who actually I've been single the whole time really, I've been a Christian, apart from the first couple of years where I backslid a little bit, but in general I've been single. And there have been so many strategies that God has given me 
literally from very, very early on in my walk with him, because I obviously came out of such a promiscuous background, like God quickly from the onset of my Christianity, once I got super serious about this walk, God very, very quickly gave me key strategies that has meant that I have been able to walk this walk of true intimacy with Jesus with a real purity and a real celebration when it comes to my sexuality and when it comes to navigating just this whole single thing. Um, So I am going to share some of those strategies with you that I hope are going to be a blessing. And so to begin with, I think one of the very first things that the Lord taught me, and I'm sure this is something that he's probably spoken to so many of you about, and you already know this stuff, so forgive me. Um, But yeah, one of the things that the Lord really just taught me from my infancy as a believer was for me to be able to identify what my triggers were. So these were triggers that would either push me towards compromise or things that may not necessarily lead to sinful behavior, but they would still impact my thought life and maybe cause me to go off track mentally. And so ask God to show you your triggers, the things that either like blatantly just lead you to sexual sin or tamper with your sex drive or open doors to temptation, or they could simply just be things that push you towards compromise or not necessarily lead to sinful behavior but they might impact your thought life or cause you to go off track or get derailed slightly but whatever that trigger might be it helps to identify it and then not just avoid it but have you know practical things in place to resist it or to come against it or to combat it in any way and so triggers might be things like alcohol or flirting or social media or feeling lonely or watching certain films or listening to certain music or feeling anxious or guilty or shame or it could be certain people or certain times of the year it could be certain places that you end up going to and this is also where making a covenant with your eyes is super important as well like literally refusing to let your eyes see anything that will lead your thought life down a dead end road and so make a covenant with your eyes every single day you know before you get online or before you go out although because we're in quarantine that may not be necessary (laughs) but you know watching things online or scrolling through social media make a covenant with your eyes Um, I also found myself from very early on being super hardcore when it came to guarding my spirit from every kind of impurity. So avoiding anything that will contaminate your mind. So what you watch, what you listen to, what you speak about, what you focus on, what you get involved in, who your friends are, like all of that stuff is critical and you have to do it with intentionality. You can't just randomly hope that you're going to be strong enough or that door's not going to open or you're not going to be influenced. Like you actually have to be on the offensive with this stuff. Next, I learned from very early on to flee sexual immorality and lust and refuse to let it even get 
a foothold, whether that's exposing myself to sexual content or people or doing certain hobbies, you know, or going to certain places or involving myself with certain people groups or particular entertainment, or it could be something to do with porn addiction, or it could be social media, whatever the door might be that could lead to sexual compromise or a struggle in that area even if it's just in your thought life, run a mile from those places of temptation or sexual immorality and lust. And then accountability, having people around us that we can connect with, that we know we can share our heart with, we can be raw and honest with, we can share our struggles and weaknesses with, people who love us unconditionally but will hold us accountable um if we don't have people that we're accountable to in our lives we might see that as freedom but actually it means that you just don't have safeguards in place and you don't have that wisdom and that protection and covering around you and so prayerfully seek wise god-ordained people in your life to be accountable to who you can share your heart with when it comes to any sexual struggles that you might have, people that will fight your corner, that will pray for you, pray with you, that will love you without limit and they'll be solid and they'll be honest with you and they'll tell you how it is as they support you in your journey as an individual. And what I would love to say about accountability is that genuine accountability must always be built upon love and honour and grace and not upon legalism or judgement. True accountability thrives within loving, transparent communities where we're partnering with each other to live abundant and powerful lives of love, purity and fellowship. It's not just, oh, you know, can you just check up on me and make sure I'm not doing anything wrong and if I do something wrong then I know I'm going to be told off. Like That's not how genuine accountability in the kingdom is meant to work. It's really meant to be built upon love and honour and nurture and truth but always in love and when it comes to mixed relationships I've learned that it is healthy for singles to try and have mixed relationships out in the open as much as possible and I think that helps avoiding placing yourself in compromising scenarios and it's far more honoring and protective for the heart if as individuals we're hanging out in groups when it comes to the opposite sex unless, you know, potential attractions arise. And if attraction does arise, then intentions can be defined and a closer, more private relationship between two people can obviously follow. But until that wonderful romantic moment occurs, mixed communities, I think, are a great environment for accountability as well. But this also depends on your maturity. Because I know that back, back, back in the day, when I was a young believer, I may not have actually hung out with um, a guy alone. And even now, as someone who's been a Christian for like 16 years, if I'm hanging out with a guy alone, someone will probably know about it because I want to be transparent and I value accountability. And I know that accountability is a powerful and effective like spiritual safeguard. Um, but there have been times where I have hung out with single guys um, and even married guys and it's totally honourable and it's pure and I may not have had any accountability in place at all at that time but that has been from a place of 
maturity and a place of accountability before God. But I do think that in general, when it comes to hanging out with the opposite sex, that as much as possible, it's healthy to do it in mixed groups. Another thing that the Lord really taught me, which I'm so grateful for, is when it comes to enjoying a fellowship with the opposite sex, is to treat the opposite sex like kingdom siblings, to really honor and love and celebrate the opposite sex as a brother in the Lord. So not as a potential husband, as I think can be the case, but as someone who first and foremost is a child of God that I am assisted to and to bless them and honor them first and foremost in that capacity before any other capacity. And I think that that kind of protects you from getting carried away or boxing that person in you know, just because someone's single, it doesn't mean that they're the one for you. And it certainly doesn't mean that something's going to happen. But I think sometimes for single Christians, when you come across another single Christian of the opposite sex, you can naturally assume that, hey, maybe something can happen there. But I personally think that we should just honor and love one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And if something happens, cool. But if it doesn't, at least we get to enjoy one another and seek the best for each other without any assumptions or expectations. And you can actually really just get to know one another and celebrate each other without any preconceived ideas. Another strategy, which isn't really a strategy, it's just a posture, which is pursuing destiny. Because I have found that passion and purpose and the pursuit of destiny is an incredible motivation for staying away from like any sexual struggles or habits or distractions that once upon a time back in the day really used to enslave me. Like my life used to revolve around sexual relationships. And when I actually got born again and I got introduced to destiny everything else just faded away like the adventure of living a life of purpose it just was so empowering and exciting compared to an exciting that it completely consumed me and it was easy to leave the past behind because this future potential that i had completely captivated me and in that same thread, true intimacy is probably the greatest weapon that I have experienced in resisting sexual struggles and empowering impurity in my own life. It's this love affair with Jesus that has been the greatest motivator against lust and against restlessness and impatience and distraction. And so I truly believe that when we're satisfied in God through relational intimacy, we actually get delivered from the need to seek sexual satisfaction in an illicit way, but then also we get delivered from the need and the overwhelming desire to find wholeness in a romantic relationship or a spouse. And I have also found that we probably struggle with singleness most when we are least tanked up with God's tangible presence and when we're least engaging in communion with him 
And I think that we find that we are therefore unable to walk in the gift of his abiding grace in our singleness and we're unable to be content with that season because we're not communing with him. But this, obviously, even when you are communing with God and even when you are enjoying a love adventure with Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're no longer going to desire intimacy in a relationship, you know, or in marriage. But a lifestyle of true intimacy with Jesus can most certainly preserve you from being driven by an overwhelming, desperate yearning for relational intimacy or marital intimacy. And also what I have learned that just because you have this gorgeous love affair with Jesus, it doesn't mean that you could end up in a relationship and issues won't come up where God won't reveal places that you actually still aren't whole, even though you may have, you know, laid down your life and given your all to Jesus, there may still be areas and places in your heart that still need healing and work still needs to be done um, that can come to the surface and be exposed when you actually do end up being in a relationship but if you've cultivated a life where Jesus is the lover of your soul and it's a life built upon true intimacy then even when these fractures or these insecurities or idolatries or divided heart issues may arise during dating or during you know a relational context at least you've built a foundation of true intimacy with Jesus for you to keep coming back to and keep finding restoration and wholeness in. And another really strategy or lesson, let's just say, that I have learned as a single when it comes to sexuality and when it comes to just generally the whole season is to trust God's sovereignty in our singleness. Because I truly believe that being single is a great time to grow in understanding of your sexuality as an individual and to grow in intimacy with God and to develop fearless confidence about the way that God has created you. And that is an ongoing process. And I personally have just got so far to go in developing fearless confidence about the way that God has created me. And I'm actually personally so thankful at times that I get to go on that journey of discovery good bad and ugly with it just being me and Jesus rather than doing that in a marital relationship which I think can work for some people I don't know if it would work for me you know but when it does come to the general perception of being single it can be overshadowed by the misconception that getting married and having sex is the promised land and that singleness is like the wilderness but the truth is that you can confidently celebrate your sexuality and you can walk in purity and power as a single without ever having to resort to sex or dating to validate your significance or your sexuality. And I think that more people would enjoy singleness if this was understood and they wouldn't just try and survive singleness. And another fundamental truth that I just want to share in this moment with you is to tell you that if you are grappling with being single, like God has not forgotten you. He is a good, good father and he wants to give us the desires of our hearts. And he himself said it was not good for man to be 
alone. And if he has placed the desire for marriage in someone's heart, then I truly do believe that he will be faithful to fulfill it. So please don't doubt God's faithfulness and please don't let fear rob you of enjoying your season of singleness, even if your singleness seems to be never ending. And you know, when it comes to like prolonged singleness, it could be the result of, you know, many reasons. It might even be the result sometimes of like a spiritual delay or like a word curse that in some cases might need to be broken over your life. I don't know, that sometimes can be the case or it's simply God's sovereign plan for you in that season. And the bottom line is until we can make peace with that, it's very difficult to actually flourish in your season of singleness until you actually yield to that plan and it's hard to be as fruitful as possible during your season of singleness if you're still trying to resist it or wanting it to change and although it might be a difficult season to be single there is actually a gift of singleness and a grace for it according to first corinthians 7 6 to 9 and so I do believe that God wants us to embrace our season of singleness, particularly if he has allowed it. And it's a divine opportunity to do and be all that you might never have the opportunity to engage in when you do get married, should marriage come along. And whether marriage comes along or doesn't, single life doesn't become any less powerful. And I think something that's so helpful and encouraging is to consider like how God gets the glory in your relationship status because for some people being married and pursuing the kingdom together and fulfilling that divine marital assignment together is where God may get the most glory in two people's lives and then you could have someone else who glorifies God in a greater way in their singleness than they ever could if they were married And also, I believe that God sometimes allows singleness because marriage may actually fragment what you're carrying. And so God doesn't want you to get distracted. It doesn't mean that you're never going to be married. But in a particular season, what you're carrying is being cultivated. And so God will allow you to be single in that season. And to be able to yield to that and enjoy that and celebrate that and partner with heaven in that season is actually a beautiful thing. And single life also avoids like a great deal of distractions and heartache and time wasted amongst other benefits. Um, And it's an amazing time to spend time with Jesus and with others and really pour yourself out in serving and in sowing into the kingdom and into those around you into the spheres of influence that God has given you into the needy and the vulnerable into your own dreams and aspirations and creativity and business and whatever the Lord lays on your heart and to fully embrace and bear much fruit in that luxury of actually having no one else to think about but yourself and you know a single person is going to be more focused on how to please God and pursue undivided devotion to the Lord, Um, being able to be driven by Christ without interruption. And it's a unique time of like just growth and crushing and surrender. Um, 
And, you know, when it comes to marriage, although they may be incredible pleasure and incredible companionship, and it's the most beautiful way of reflecting Jesus's relationship with the bride, um, but marriage also brings its own challenges of troubles and anxieties. And so being sober about that is helpful to know that as a single, you actually get to avoid a lot of the troubles and anxieties that may come with marriage, along with all the good stuff as well. And actually, when it comes to sexuality, a season of singleness can be such a blessing to be able to deal with issues that we may have about our sexuality. Because as attractive as the prospect of getting married might be to someone, marriage is not going to cure addictions or a propensity to masturbate or or it's not going to nullify same-sex attractions that someone might be experiencing or it's not necessarily going to awaken a repressed sexuality in the blink of an eye. And so all these deeply rooted, very real issues require sensitive attention and deliverance and restoration And they're not just going to be rectified with marriage if it's something you're grappling with beforehand. And that's not to say that you can't be having any of those issues and then get married and that God isn't going to perhaps use your spouse to actually help you bring wholeness um, and restoration in a unique way. But sometimes if as singles we haven't use that season to actually deal with those things then actually those issues of sexual brokenness or addiction or lust actually have the capacity to bring turmoil and heartache into a marriage if they're not dealt with so singleness is the perfect time to actually deal with these issues and to also ensure that you're walking in complete wholeness and that your emotions are healthy and that your health is good and that your eating habits are healthy, that your finances are healthy, that your work ethics and, you know, your hygiene, like all of that stuff, like a single season is an incredible season to get all that stuff in check. And, you know, when it comes to marriage, I think that as singles, sometimes there is this this propensity to romanticize or glamorize marriage But actually, once you get married, it's irrevocable. You can't change it. You can't just go back to your single days. You can't just revert back to living by yourself or just making decisions that only affect you. I mean, marriage is about sacrifice and compromise and truly laying your life down. And once you commit to marriage, there is no going back to your single life. And so being single is something really to be cherished and for it to be a time of really enjoying every precious moment. And it's also this incredible opportunity to press into prayer and to cultivate a spiritual lifestyle. It's actually the best season of preparation if you do marry because the kind of prayer life or spiritual lifestyle that we walk in when we're single is what we're gonna bring to the table when we're married. Because if we're not praying people and we don't read our Bible and we don't discipline ourselves spiritually as singles, it's not like we're going to do it when we're married. And really, when it comes to preparing for marriage, you actually want to bring a solid spiritual foundation to your marriage so that your marriage is really going to flourish and prosper. 
And so singleness is such a grace period to check ourselves and to work on areas of weakness which prevent us from being the best version of ourselves that we can be. But this work that we get to do in ourselves as singles isn't because we're preparing for marriage, but actually it's so that we can conform to the image of Christ and so that we can live an abundant life of victory and power and wholeness no matter what our marital status might be but obviously at the same time i don't want to dilute the challenges of singleness such as disappointment or frustration that someone might experience you know finding it deeply painful not having a companion or feeling that void i guess on holidays or during special occasions or maybe being impacted by your biological clock or just the frustration or the loneliness or a sense of rejection or not feeling worthy enough or not feeling desirable enough or having low self-esteem or insecurity or dealing with like the physical desire and longing for companionship and love like all those things are struggles of singleness for some people And actually, when it comes to desire, when it comes to a longing to be with someone like God knows that. It's not like he doesn't know that we're sexual beings. It's not like he doesn't know that a person has a sex drive. And I really do believe that God wants us to, as singles, so bring him into the mix of our sexual struggles or our desires for companionship or our desire for desire and just that longing to be intimate with someone. Like God wants that to be a journey that we do with him. And I actually remember when I was still a young believer and I was backsliding And I remember having an experience with God that at that stage, I didn't really know God that well, but he taught me in that one encounter just how much he wants to be part of my process of when it comes to sexuality and when it comes to my struggles and when it just comes to me navigating through my desires and relationships, like he wants to be in the mix and he wants to show up big for me. And so, like I said, I was still a very young believer. And in fact, I was just going back and forth and backsliding and then going to church. And I was a Christian, but I was definitely um, backsliding at the same time. And I remember one night where I was with um, the ex-boyfriend of my best friend. And I was quite aware of the fact that whenever I get drunk, that I do end up either flirting or, you know, getting off with the guy that I might be hanging out with and I definitely knew that I did not want to do that with this guy because you know it was my best friend's ex and firstly I was not attracted to him and secondly I just couldn't bear the thought of actually falling and maybe having sex with him and then the next day telling my best friend like I would have just felt so much shame and so we were hanging out and we were smoking weed and I could tell that I was getting super tipsy and I knew how the night was likely to end even though I wasn't attracted to him and even though I didn't want it to happen but I felt that we'd already kind of been playing around quite a bit and I didn't know how to backtrack And at this point, I'd never really invited God into my craziness. I would always stumble and backslide, and then I would always repent afterwards. But I'd never gone to God in the middle of a situation, a sexual situation. But I found myself telling him that I'm just going to be a minute. 
And then I went into my bathroom and while I was still drunk, slurring my words, I prayed a prayer and I said to God, like, Lord, I don't want to sleep with him. Like, I don't know what to do. I just, I don't know how to get out of it. I just know that when I come out of this bathroom, I know that if things carry on the way that they're going, I am going to end up sleeping with him. Like, you need to help me. You need to kind of, please stop me. Like, give me a way out. And then I just prayed that prayer. And then I just came out of the bathroom and then went back into my kitchen. And so we started clowning around again. And then he picked me up. Then he started spinning me around because this is what stupid drunk people do. And as he spun me around, he let go of me accidentally. And then I went flying into my fridge. <laughs> and I fell on the floor and instantly I just felt like this crushing pain in my arm and in my ribs. And I just began to cry with excruciating pain. And eventually I had to end up going to A&E. And when I got to A&E, I... <laughs> found out that I'd fractured my ribs <laughs> and my arm so then my arm had to be put in a sling for like the next six weeks and no word of a lie I was so happy because God had answered my prayer like I didn't even know how I was going to get out of that situation I didn't know how I would explain to my friend that I'd slept with her ex even though I didn't fancy him but it just happened but I didn't have to explain any of that and I hadn't done anything with him and I used to call that sling my purity sling instead of a purity ring because it kept me pure that night and I learned such an amazing lesson that night that if God can preserve me from sleeping with the wrong person then God can preserve me from sleeping with anyone and from that day I invited God into my struggle and God became a very present help to me in my walk of purity and navigating through my sexuality and I really do believe that that's what he wants for all of us he wants us to invite him into the journey of not just our singleness but into those places of sexual struggle and temptation and stumbling and fumbling and all of that stuff because ultimately the Bible tells us that there is not a single temptation that we go through that Jesus didn't face like he is our helper he's our mediator he's our high priest he's praying on our behalf he's been exposed to the temptations that we've been exposed to but he did not give in and as our helper and as our mediator and as our high priest he is praying on our behalf and he's standing in the gap on our behalf on behalf of our desires on behalf of our struggles and so he can so be trusted in our journey of singleness and just navigating through our sexuality and just the final thing that i want to say is from first corinthians 7 17 in the message translation where it says and don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else where you are right now is god's place for you live and obey and love and believe right there god not your marital status defines your life and so no matter how difficult or how much of a struggle it might be to be single whether that's in the area of your sexuality or whether simply just you know navigating through the season just generally like trust god truly trust god because if that is the season that you're in right now 
live and obey and love and believe right there because God, not your marital status, defines your life. And if we are not satisfied as singles, we're never going to be satisfied married. And so on that wonderful note, I am gonna pray for us. Um, and I actually, there's just a few things that I'm going to pray over you guys. Um, it might not apply to everyone, but I pray that if this is some of the stuff that you might be wrestling with, that this prayer would yeah just encourage you and give you comfort and um, just in general that this prayer would be a blessing to you so lord jesus i just thank you so much for every single person who's listening to today's episode and i thank you for this season of singleness that they are in and I just thank you for such a gift of singleness, such a grace over this season, such a fulfillment of purpose and destiny, such a place of preparation and growth and being conformed to your image. Lord, I pray that this will be such a time of partnership with you, that you would not only help each person to be able to become so whole and get rid of any junk or funk that they might be dealing with, but that they would so grow in character and personality and substance and vision Jesus I pray that they would grow in their prayer lives and in their love for your word and in kingdom revelation Lord I pray that there'll be such a blessing to the world around them and that they would be so so very fruitful father and I pray also Lord Jesus that if there are just places of shame or frustration or disappointment in this season of singleness lord i just break that off right now in the name of jesus lord i pray god that if anyone who's listening um, is also dating and going through that whole journey i just pray for your grace on that i pray for your wisdom on that i pray for your delight on that lord and just fruitfulness on anyone that's dating during this time lord jesus i pray also god that there would be just such a place of freedom and peace to just be able to trust you in this season and not to compare and not to look at the biological clock or not to get caught up in all the woulda shoulda couldas lord god but just truly to be able to trust you father and I also pray, Jesus, Lord, just um, that you would help everyone listening, that if they are grappling with stuff in their walk as individuals when it comes to their sexuality, that you would help identify triggers that might lead to certain places of sexual compromise and that you would give all of them accountability partners or networks that, you know, people that really love them and um, speak truth and nurture and... Um, wholeness over them and really draw out the treasure in them lord that you would cause destiny to be so fun and adventurous and exciting god that it would really um give them a fresh place of motivation to just keep pursuing you lord i also pray for intimacy with you to be their greatest pursuit that their love affair with you would simply take center stage in their lives. If anyone is grappling with sexual struggles, whether it's porn or masturbation or, um, you know, promiscuity or fornication, like whatever it might be, lustful thoughts, Lord, I just speak deliverance and I speak freedom 
um, from all of those places of bondage, Lord. I pray such an incredible blessing over each person who's listening, Lord, that this season wouldn't be in vain, but that it would be so rich and so full of you, Lord, and that it would be so rich and so, so very full of you, Lord. And so, yeah, I just love you, Lord. I thank you that you are there for each person and that you're walking with them and that you are fully in that season with them and that you are the greatest, sweetest, kindest, most fulfilling companion that any of us could ever dream of or desire of and that you actually know the desires of our hearts and that you, Father, are a good, good Father, and that you can be trusted. In Jesus' name I pray, Amen. Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. All related social media handles and links can be found in the notes section. If you did enjoy today's episode, then please do feel free to share it, and do subscribe to the podcast if you want to know when a new episode is heading your way. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do that via Instagram or Facebook, or you can head over to livinginlight.co.uk. I cannot wait to be with you guys again, and thank you so much for listening to the Living in Light podcast. Because you're beautiful, so